1: Good day. Welcome to New Books and History, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. My name is Dr. Charles of the Royal Historic Society. I'm a host on the channel, and today we are pleased and indeed honored to have with us Mr. Richard Davenport Hines. Mr. Davenport Hines is a fellow of All Souls College, Oxford, and is an author of a number of well-received books, including Enemies Within and An English Affair. And today we're discussing his latest book, Conservative Thinkers from All Souls College, Oxford, published by Bodell Press. Welcome, Mr. Davenport Hines. Hello. Uh, may I ask, why did you write this book? I, I
0: wrote this book because I was coming to the end of my fellowship at All Souls College Oxford, uh, a place which I completely adored and where I had many great friends. And I thought it would be a gift to them to give a lecture course on some of the past members of the college uh, who were perhaps not well remembered.
1: Can you tell the audience a little bit about uh, why All Souls College Oxford is different from the other grander college, um, Oxford colleges, such as Uh, Christchurch?
0: Yes, it is a unique college, uh, not only in Oxford, but probably in the world. It's the world's biggest and most expensive uh, and culturally important war memorial. It was founded in the 15th century to uh, to pray for the souls of the English soldiers who had been killed in a war with France, the war that's covered in Shakespeare's Henry IV. And the college has never had young students in it. It's only had senior uh, members, uh, researchers, uh, professors, uh in the humanities and later in the sciences and it's always had what were called London fellows who were distinguished men nowadays since the 1980s also distinguished women who have big careers in London either uh, in politics in, uh, as editors of major newspapers such as the times or uh in in other really major public responsibilities. So it was the, in in a sense, the world's first uh, uh, research institute think tank.
1: Uh, as employed in the book, how do you define conservative? My, the, 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 my,
0: I wrote I, I, I the book, partly uh, to object to the way that the word conservative has been hijacked or shanghaied in the last 15 or 20 years by uh, political leaders, but I'm I'm talking about Britain particularly, uh, uh, who have really no sympathy, no understanding, no respect for the traditional notions of conservatism. Uh, For me and for the subjects whom I explore in the book, uh, the first, Duty of a conservative is to avoid disruption, to avoid sudden change, to in- avoid the instability and disequilibrium that occurs if 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 uh, conditions are really st- abruptly and drastically altered. Uh, conservatism is about continuity, and I particularly argue in the book. Uh, uh, that conservatism has an m- absolutely fundamental duty to address the human capacity for grief and mourning i, I um the, the 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 mental and physical unwellness that afflicts most people if their living conditions are suddenly changed, either by being thrown out of employment, either uh, by being forcibly removed from the communities where they've lived to to, uh, uh, other other new build communities and projects, it, um, the the change of um, economic and social expectations that can suddenly happen uh, in, a, in, a, in any individual's lifetime leave them shocked and lost and in mourning for what they've lost. And that, I think, is uh, one of the main themes of my book.
1: Why do you regard the 17th century Lord Halifax, the so-called trimmer, in a positive light? many would regard his opportunism at the time of the Popish plot in a less than positive light. Uh, I must admit, first of all, that I'm extremely attracted by
0: his sense of irony. He uh, uh, it, 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 He's um, serious and responsible in his approach to the world, but he is never solemn and he sees... Always the humor in people's pretenses uh, and the emptiness in uh, people's claims to profound sincerity. He is um, uh, not a glad cynic, but he is um, a, 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 a skeptic who is amused by the antics of people who um, make a big deal out of principles that are actually self-serving uh, devices. Um, and oh, I, he's a hero of conservatism. He's he's England's great conservative political thinker of that century, along with Lord Clowndon, because he uh, w- w- wants to um, uh, take a steady central track in policy. He doesn't want to swerve to extremes. He he is horrified by tit-for-tat vindictiveness between uh, different uh, political uh, groups. And he's particularly horrified by the terrible internecine warfare that breaks out within within groups, the, the the trouble that the U.S. Republican Party is having at the time I'm speaking about selecting um, uh, the, the the new speaker, the the, the the splits in in Republicanism at the moment are just what Halifax thinks are um, such a waste of time and spirit and initiative and dignity
1: why did you pick these seven figures and not someone like say lord curzon that is um uh, um
0: uh, that feels like a very aggressive and uh, question because i because Ultimately, I have to admit that the choice was uh, arbitrary. I was I was very tempted to write about Lord Curzon, who was a f- uh, fellow of all souls in the 1880s and uh, at the time completely when uh, uh, we invigorated a major con- uh, conservative seminar in Oxford called the Canning Club. He was tremendously important in uh, um, revivifying conservatism as as an intellectual way of thinking in 19th-century Oxford. Um, uh, And uh, he is, of course, a a, a tremendous figure to write about, hugely intelligent and able, with appalling personality flaws, um, um, pomposity and conceit mixed with extraordinarily enlightened and imaginative uh, views of the future. He would have, he, I, I think, I suppose I was frightened off a little by the greatness of Curzon. And of course I also didn't want to, Curzon um, uh, had been Viceroy of India uh, um, at the end of the 19th century, in the early 20th century, and had a very major part in the, um, making and thinking and creed of the British Empire. And at the moment in Britain, as indeed in all the English-speaking world, there's um, uh, terrible, uh, over-intensified sensitivities about colonialism and racial discrimination, and I didn't want to get distracted by that.
1: Understood. Why did Sir Llewellyn Woodward regard Prince Metternich? in a positive point of view, and how would the latter's conservatism compare with those of your also septet? Well,
0: Llewellyn Woodward began by being interested in the dark ages of of Europe, the period between the fall of the Roman Empire and the real rise of Christianity. And he saw in that, paradoxically, a great parallel with the 19th century, which he thought was another time, a dark time uh, of great strife, uh, violence. Uh, 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 volatility unpredictability um and in Metternich he saw uh, a really nobler exemplar of what what i think he called uh, aristocratic pessimism. Metternich was a nobleman uh, who uh, um believed essentially that everything was always getting slightly worse. He didn't believe in progress. He thought in he thought in he thought that everything was deteriorating step by step, uh, almost impalpably. And his whole uh, public career was intended to try and shore up existing institutions for the lifetime of the people who were working in them. He uh, he thought that crashes and calamities would come. Um, uh, but he hoped to ward them off for as long as possible. So he was an extremely pessimistic man. And uh, Llewellyn Woodward, who began his life a genuinely very religious young man, Uh, he was nicknamed the Abbey because it was thought that he would go into the church and wise high in the church hierarchy, who eventually lost his Christian faith, uh, found this uh absolutely comfortless dour but intelligent pessimism in metinich emotionally very attractive
1: why do you regard the french statesman Guizot uh as a conservative when he accepted the deeds of 1792 and 1793 uh hardly in 19th century terms uh uh, views held by most conservatives. That's a very kind way of putting it. Uh, 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 Gizo
0: again, like Metternich and uh, Woodward Trinsdom, as two great nineteenth-century conservative thinkers, um, he, both of them, saw the absolute horror of the of the French Revolution and Napoleonic Wars wrecking Europe. Um, leading to huge, uncountable numbers of civilian and military deaths. Um and they wanted at all costs uh, to try to restore some sort of equilibrium to European policy. And they saw it as incidentally as very much in continental terms, not in national terms. Uh, this is uh, this was. Far for well before anyone was thinking about national identity as anything important, uh, and uh, Gizzo thought that the uh, corruption and incompetence and defeatness of the royalist regime in 18th century France uh, had been. Perhaps inexcusable, uh, and certainly that there was no going back to, this, to the to the, the the situation that had existed under a monarchy before the French Revolution. And he thought that ultra reactionaries who talked like that were just provoking um, uh, disaccord, uh, disruption, possibly another civil war. Uh, he he wanted to accept what had happened uh, um, and not exaggerate either the either the virtues of a golden past or indeed the horrors of uh, revolutionaries. So so he, essentially, Guizot's position is that of um, a man who wants to be rational and pragmatic, but at the same time uh, not sell out his principles.
1: Why would you regard Sir Keith Feeling as a conservative? Well, I, I, because
0: uh, he, he he founded the Oxford University Conservative Association and he set himself very consciously as a tutor to young men in the 1920s to train them uh, to stand for elected office and in due course to become conservative ministers of great responsibility in the middle of the 20th century England. Uh, He wrote uh, um, three short essays, three short treatises or essays on the nature of conservatism, and he was really, uh, he was recognised in his lifetime very much as uh, uh, um, the leading conservative thinker in the University of Oxford. He was asked to sit on policy making bodies by the British Conservative Party and he eventually got knighted by them. Uh, um, And he wrote Histories of the Tory Party, which was the name by which the the Conservative Party was known until the early 19th century. He studied um, parliamentary conservatism much more deeply using manuscript sources, uh, rather than other people's books, uh, more, uh, more energetically and strenuously than anyone had done f- before.
1: Why well, for you was the replacement of A.J. Balfour by Bonar Law as the leader of the Tory party in 1911, an important event in, the, in that particular institution?
0: Well, I'm no admirer of A.J. Balfour, who was uh, a a very conceited and lazy and self-satisfied man. He had great intellectual power, uh, but he was too pleased with himself uh, he, he was too narcissistic uh, to give strong leadership or we, or or take policy in any sort of consistent direction and when finally his leadership of his increasingly disastrous leadership of the early 20th century conservative party disintegrated he was replaced by a man called andrew boner law who had been born in uh, newfoundland who was of um, uh, who was of Scottish Presbyterian ancestry who spent his um, early manhood working at, in an industrial city in, in Scotland as, a, as as a business as a businessman with a middle-sized business. He was a hard provincial, businessman he was godless and, and and um had no belief in organized religion or afterlife but great belief in people conform conforming socially by going to church he had no interest in the landed gentry the arist, the territorial aristocracy who had until then been a, a, a Taken the labouring awe in running the Conservative Party in England, he he was um, a, a middle class egalitarian who was proud of proud of being philistine and had um, a really gruff rudeness when confronted with people from the university. That was very different. What I could say, but I could put it in a sentence. It sounds rather snobbish, but he, he, Ben-Alo was the first Conservative leader apart from Disraeli, who was not a gentleman and never pretended or tried to be a gentleman, which Disraeli did try to do.
1: And in fact, he did not go to a public school and didn't go to university. But that's absolutely right.
0: And he not only did he not go to university, he was. Um, uh, he, as a as a party leader he avoided going anywhere near the uh, universities and um uh, what he would have called the practical man's distrust of ideas this this meant of course that he he was very susceptible to prejudice and he behaved he was he behaved very bad he he um if i may say so um his behavior at uh, uh, just before the First World War, was leader of the Conservative Party, when he tacitly incited mutiny in the in the in the in the British Army, um, and when he engaged in unlawful conspiracies against the elected government and the parliamentary system, um, really were um, uh, 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 outrageous and um, exactly the sort of disruptive stunt that conservatism was meant to have nothing to do with
1: you're talking about his uh, speech at blenheim palace um in the, in the home rule crisis
0: i i am i'm am, am talking about that and and the context of that uh, uh, of of um you you'll remember that the liberal government of the time was hoping and planning to give to Ireland, um, home rule its own parliament in Dublin and much more control over its the raising of and spending the raising of taxes and the spending of government expenditure. It was intended to give a, a considerable measure of autonomy to Ireland. Uh, which had been agitating for that for 40, 50 more years. Um, But there was a small Protestant minority in the northeast of uh, Ireland, in the province of Ulster, who uh, um, feared... That a Dublin a Dublin parliament would be dominated by Catholics and would lead to great sectarianism and oppression of the Protestants. And the Protestants themselves, it must be said, uh, many, though not all of them, were extremely um, bigoted people. They were, I call them Protestants, it would be just as fair to call them Protestant supremacists, who had a, a, a great animus against Catholicism, which was reciprocated. Uh, but Law took the side of the Protestant supremacists very strongly. I, I don't think one could find any historian uh, who would defend the details or speak that d- of his behavior or the speeches that he made.
1: I couldn't quite make out. Um, were you endorsing or the, or the converse in terms of the conservatism of Lord Hugh Cecil? Particularly in view of the fact that uh, in the same crisis, or the, and in the crisis over the uh, House of Lords, he shouted down the PM in the House as a murderer. Uh,
0: yeah, uh, uh, Lord Hugh Sissel, I should say, was the one was one of the younger sons of the former Prime Minister Lord Salisbury, and he was a first cousin of Arthur Balfour, um, and um, uh, he was. A, a, a very intelligent and also um, um immensely emotionally unstable uh, uh, man uh, i think it's relevant to say that he was a professional virgin he was um terrified of sex and um uh, um uh, for, shrank from sexuality or sensuality in any form Uh, he was he was a highly strung puritan who sometimes essentially lost control became so overwrought that he lost control of his nerves and indeed of his senses Uh, he said he said and did some very extreme things uh, very unpleasant things at times and at other times he was absolutely charming and a very considerate man he's a very confused figure um, and I wouldn't endorse or, con- or condemn him, what is true is that he wrote just before the First World War a very influential uh, small book on the, the spirit of conservatism which had, a, which was for um, um, uh, uh, uh a publishing series that was addressed at working-class men and women, self-educated young people. Uh, It was was a very inclusive book in its intended readership. Uh, It wasn't addressed to other members of the Conservative Party, but it was meant to be a, a rallying cry for uh, the the protection of old institutions of the protection of Protestantism uh, and uh, of uh, the rejection essentially of modernity. The, the Sissel family were hyper Protestant um, uh, in a way that um, I think would na- it would now be found in, um, very intolerant. Very, they were an anti-Catholic family and later in the 20th century, when one of the heirs to the Sissel family fell in love with uh, um, a a, a young woman from a very upper-class family who happened to be Scottish. Uh, the, the family absolutely forbade the marriage and separated the couple. And the only way the couple eventually were able to marry su- after a gap of many years was to get together again and make sure that the young lady got pregnant, and which f- forced the young man to do the decent thing and they he, they were able to accomplish a marriage which otherwise the Sissel family would absolutely have prohibited. So. That the sectarianism is a very important ingredient, religious sectarianism is a very important ingredient in understanding conservative thinking uh, in the first half of the 20th century in England.
1: Is that why you talk about Bishop Henson and his ambivalence towards the establishment of the Church of England?
0: Well, I, I really talk about Bishop Henson because in a, uh, I, I find him such an attractive, lovable, admirable, remarkable man. It's a joy to read his books or to read his unpublished diaries and papers and to get to grips with a man of quite stunning intelligence. He comes from, uh, um, I think one would say, a blue-collar, background in England his father is a, a very um, uh, is a very primitive and fanatical um, uh, evangelical Christian who won't allow him to go to school because he thinks schools are full of corruption and makes him educate makes the boy educate himself at home uh, but the boy gets at a really precocious age he manages to go to Oxford University where, again, he's not allowed by his father to go to an ordinary college. He has to live way out of town in a very um, dull um, a sort of the, the, the Pittsburgh suburb of Oxford uh, and educate himself. And, and then at a really young age, he's elected as, uh, as a fellow of all souls at the age, I think, of 20, then goes into the Church of England um, and become as one of its leading intellectuals for 50 for 50 years um he is initially a tremendous supporter of the, the established church of england that's to say the, the 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 word of the church of england is an adjunct to the state almost as another department of state as a, as a ministry uh and he Um, undergoes a complete somersault of opinions in the 1920s when the House of Commons, which is by then full of people who aren't believers at all, aren't Christians, uh, aren't members of the Church of England, Uh, starts interfering quite actively in the management of the Church of England uh, through parliamentary legislation. And that's the moment when he says, uh, we can't have have here today, gone tomorrow, politicians who may not be Christians telling the Church of England how to run itself. That's, that's That's the cause of it. And he is again another extremely intelligent pessimist. He thinks that most things are getting slightly worse steadily all the time, but he also believes in humane behaviour to other people and to treating individuals and communities with dignity. Um, And he he has, like many of the people in my book, Henson, as a Christian, has a Wonderful uh, adherence to the causes of truth and justice. He can't stand lies. Uh, he can't stand sentimental fudges or political tricks. He has a, a level of probity and integrity that's that's really, I think, glorious.
1: Would it be true to say that, unlike uh, the historian Ellie Kaduri, you, ha- on the whole, have a favorable view of the third Viscount Halifax?
0: Yes, I I, I, um, I I tried to. I have a whole chapter on Lord Halifax, who was a Fellow of All Souls for much of the twentieth century, uh, who was Viceroy of India, Foreign Secretary, a very important ambassador in Washington, uh, um, and who is a is a, remains a controversial figure in British political history, and I. I wouldn't say I endorse or uh, condemn or judge him. Uh, I saw my task, which was an enjoyable one to try to do, was to get inside his head and explain really what he thought and why he did, took the courses of action that he did, why he recommended people to behave as he did. Um, he, is, um, he comes from a rich northern landed family, Uh, And he believes passionately, uh, not only in uh, the value of agricultural communities and the beauty of landscape and the preserve, but but above all in the preservation of the, the the social traditions, the morality, the loyalties of country people. He doesn't. He is very much not a nationalist um he he believes that the counties that's to say the, the equivalent of the states in the united states the the the, the 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 counties the regions in england have a character and an integrity and ought to have an internal loyalty all of their own that is one of the most powerful things that one can have and um as an example of this which i may sh- share in the book repeatedly um the the bravest the the most easy to train, the most impressively performing military regiments are those where the soldiers uh, all come from the same area. They know one another's streets, if it's an urban area, they know one another's villages, if it's a country district, where there is a sense of really strong sense of locality and roots. People are much more committed as soldiers and Halifax says they're also much more committed as civilians. So I was trying to explain, uh, without taking a judgment in any way on on any point, why he believes so strongly that conservatism had to take care of of, uh, country people, which is what he thought. Also, he's I wanted to make the point that Halifax is regarded by most British historians uh, as an upper-class landowner, but I wanted to remind them that he was a fellow of all souls, that he taught modern history to young, to undergraduate young students there. He was, in fact, a university teacher for a good bit of his time. He would have had to in that period if one was a fellow of all souls one often had one had to under the regulations to resign if one married and he postponed marrying until the expiry of his fellowship because the fellowship meant so much to him and the 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 a uh, great theme of my book is how the how enriching how important how influential informal conversation is among academic colleagues I I, I quote one of them as saying we agree in everything except our opinions and there was at All Souls uh, a long tradition of talking things out of talking very openly as it might seem quite aggressively frankly without without false politesse Uh, uh, um, but but as, as a way of improving one's own Freshness of mind, and Halifax, despite his reputation as rather a star, stuffed shirt, was very much part of that.
1: What is the proof that Halifax had an affair with Lady Metcalf? About a year ago, I asked this question of Andrew Roberts, and he was somewhat categorical in the fact that the relationship itself, while quite intense emotionally, was not an, at all physical.
0: Well, I, um, I, 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 I stand in awe of uh, Andrew Roberts, who is a great friend of mine, I I hope, and who is now a member of our House of Lords and a wonderful political hope for the future. Uh, He certainly knows what he's talking about. I have not seen myself the letters between uh, Alexandra Metcalf and uh, Edward Halifax, though they've been described to me by a historian who has seen them, uh, and uh, I, I had understood from that that there was um, that indeed they were lovers. Alexandra Metcalf was a h- very highly sexed woman. She uh, had um, among her lovers were her elder sister's husband, the fascist leader Oswald Mosley, and a good number of other people, um, and I would have. Um, I, 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 I would. She was not, uh, ch- uh, not um, naturally chaste. Halifax mayor. Uh, they were. Uh, it is true that I should say that they were apart for most of the key period of their relation. The uh, uh, key period of their relationship. He is in Washington as ambassador, and she is back in England. Uh, and the really witch correspondence that's been described to me. Um, um, uh, dates from that period, but uh, I mean, I I um, I, I, I can't. I, it didn't actually occur to me to go in to in any to think about um, exactly what the intimacies involved.
1: Point taken. Uh, do you agree with Edward Heath that the reason that Lord Hailsham was not successful in his bid to become the Tory Party leader in 1963? Uh, was that he was uh, seen feeding his baby children at the party conference in um, in nineteen in October nineteen sixty
0: three? That's part of it. Um, we have a wonderful English politician, uh, whom a fellow of all cells, and um, William Walgrave, who was um, in 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 the Conservative cabinets thirty years ago, um, tells me that Hailsham's uh, behavior in the summer of 1963 uh, at the uh, nuclear summit uh, involving the Soviet Russia, the United States and European powers uh, uh, which resulted in a nuclear uh, treaty to limit nuclear activity um, Helsham Helsham was the British representative there. He was a very um, bumptious, noisy uh, man. And I'm told by William Walgrave that he profoundly offended Washington by his behaviour at that time, and particularly by seeming to say, seeming to take responsibility for the signature of the nuclear treaty, Uh, away from American negotiations and to himself. There was, he had really big enemies in Washington. And when he was um, a candidate to become leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister three or four months later, uh, Washington, I'm told, made its um, disapproval very clear, and I think that that mattered a great deal. Helsham was an extraordinary man. I don't say that I don't most certainly don't say that he was bipolar, but one could uh, um, uh, see why he might have been thought to be bipolar because he had bursts of. Tremendous ebullience and noisiness and uh that were that that could that could be very undignified, as with his not only because he fed his fed his baby his newborn baby on the beach at the time of the party conference, but he also rang bells and danced about a bit like a guy in a, a clown in the circus. Um, he was, however, a very important man in. Um, uh, turning the conservative party in the 1940s from a narrow um, class interest to a national party from taking it away from being the party of big business small business capitalism um into a, a party that or that ordinary joes could vote for without feeling that they were voting away that they were only voting away their own prosperity for the benefit of people who are already much richer than him. He was a great popularizer and de- demo- de- de- and demo- democratizing force in conservatism in the 1940s and 1950s.
1: Was, in your opinion, Enoch Powell a conservative? And if not, why not? Well, he he
0: fails at the first a step by my definition, which is that he was a very disruptive force. Um, he um, he took it might be a conceited pride in thinking differently from party convention, and on several occasions he broke with party orthodoxy in a way that was extremely disruptive. Destabilizing caused a great deal of um, instability, and that's uh, that's a very, that in my terms is profoundly unconservative uh, 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 way of behaving. Um, he also uh, based his political career on seeing through and keeping faith with first principles he was a doctrinaire he um worked out on fairly elastic and inelastic and abstract lines what he thought was the right way to go forward according according to doctrinal considerations and then he kept to it uh, relentlessly he was not a man. He he disbelieved in adjusting policy in order to temporize and to, uh, um, um, in order to temporize and in order to bring in um, uh, other groups of opinion that were opposed. He was not a uh, the, uh, the word I was looking for is conciliate. He 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 was not a conciliator. In, in taking forward policy or or turning it in in into legislation, um, uh, and conservatism is, is is as my book shows over and over again, it's entirely about uh, um, adjusting loosely held principles to the practical conditions in which they might be operated. And Enoch poll doesn't 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 manage that at all. He's um, he's. I, I I have a uh, and then uh, and it seems to me that one of the appalling malaises of the late twentieth and the early twenty first century is the cult of the outsider, and whether you whether it's beatnik poets, a dreary druggy, not very original beatnik poets making a great cult of being outsiders, or whether it is political leaders who um, fancy themselves as being outsiders of the political parties. Um, uh, they, uh, they are, to be an outsider is to be fundamentally egotistical, uncooperative, uh, not. Um, uh, un, 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 unwilling to work unwilling or unable to work with other people so that if i can in general terms take take an american example um when 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 some american leaders talk about draining the swamp uh that, that seems to me app that seems to me um chiefly a very egotistical idea that one or two people can change a whole system by uh, b- by a piece of rhetoric like that, uh, and 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 um, institutions, it, it, the the failings, the inadequacies, the lack of integrity in institutions is paradoxically part of their health. If you start dismantling institutions. Um, in a piecemeal way in order to satisfy particular interest groups. Uh, the, inst- the institutions get much, the institutional structure gets much more weakened. And that is what Enoch Powell is inclined to do. I mean, I think he's a very vain man uh, and uh, does a lot of uh, harm to the Conservative Party at times. Well, Of course, he leaves it. Uh, he eventually resigns from it and goes and becomes a, a, a member of parliament um, as a member of an extreme sectarian Protestant party. And I don't believe that religious sectarianism should be touched by anyone uh, in, uh, in, the, in the politics of a civilized country.
1: Why was Lord Ratcliffe chosen to head the Boundary Commission in the partition of um, the Indian subcontinent? Was it because he went to the same public school as the prime minister?
0: No, it was um, uh, uh, because he was had the self-confidence to accept the job. He saw uh, that the British government had enormously and irresponsibly accelerated the date for their taking their troops out of in, uh, the Indian subcontinent and granting independence to India and Pakistan. Uh, they bought they the deadline forward by uh, a year or more at very short notice. And it was necessary to draw the new boundaries between I- uh, India and Pakistan again on sectarian lines. It's a ghastly impossible, it was an impossible task and uh, um, uh, much forced on the British by the behavior of Andrew Roberts, great bugbear, Louis Mountbatten, the the playboy Viceroy of India. Uh, And um, there was almost no one who had the nerve to take on such an impossible job, which no one could succeed in. And Radcliffe says in effect, I know, I know, I, I know. I'm, I, I know it will, it, I'm get, I'll make a botch of it, but I will do it better than anyone else I can think of who is likely to take the job. So he takes the job because, um, uh, as, as, uh, 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 as a matter of self confidence, that he can do it when he has learned that so many other people say they're going to do things and then fail. Why He's a. It?
1: Sorry. Go ahead, please.
0: Well, I was going to say that, to to give the background to Lord Radcliffe, he is an immensely successful uh, attorney before the Second World War with a huge uh, remunerative practice. uh, And then, during the war, has been Director General of the Ministry of Information. That's, say, the Department of the British Government that was in charge of Foreign propaganda and domestic morale, and he has a fantastic sense of the change that happens in the mid twentieth century. Your vice president, um, um, uh, Roosevelt's vice president, um, um, uh, 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 says Henry that w- Henry Wallace. Uh, Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace says that um, uh, this is the century of the common man, and this is a phase that. Strikes horror throughout all the corridors of all the English government departments because they see um, an ill-informed, an ill-informed and inconsistent and impulsive public opinion making hay of good governments, good uh, good purpose of government, and Radcliffe has really outstanding. both sensitivities and methodical understanding of what is involved in leadership in this in the new dawning century of the common man uh so he's 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 extremely well positioned for that for that job he uh thinks that the abandonment of the empire at that time is wrong he thinks it's too early uh and he doesn't support the policy at all but he's willing to serve his government in trying to implement it as best as can be done in the circumstances. I think he's loathed now by opinion in, in India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, but I think he's a very uh, courageous a man who never wanted to be thanked and did um, and did well.
1: Why do the British people no longer respect their betters, the so-called good? <laughs> <laughs> um, 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 uh,
0: i wonder whether anyone on your podcast before has put their head in their hands and wept. i feel like i feel like sobbing my tears rather than trying to answer that question i mean it is uh, it, it is uh uh it is uh, the, the british isles at them now is really in a, a heartbreaking and I think irreversible freefall, because there is suddenly a belief that wholly in expert opinion, everyone's opinion is as good as anyone else's, essentially. There is no sense that expertise. Or knowledge, uh, or um, uh, 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 managerial uh, d- uh, deafness, or even personal, which I think is very important. Personal character matters, um, uh, and which is why one has television comedians suddenly becoming major political influences in England, and um Uh, Why we've had this um, heartbreaking calamity of Brexit, um, which uh, the idea of the the proponents of Brexit thought that um, taking Britain suddenly out of an institution of which had been an integral part in which its laws were entirely enmeshed for, uh, for half a century, that the instability of this wrench, uh, uh, this this complete jolt of the established order, wouldn't destabilize all the other national institutions. I mean, with the um, the, the, the 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 reputation of the British Parliament, uh, I, I'm sorry to say, has absolutely plummeted. After all, it it, it at one stage try uh, as many of your members will know but not perhaps all of them uh in in in, in uh, 2019 um the, the then conservative government with the ruling majority in the house of commons tried to prorogue parliament tried to suspend parliament um uh and uh and there were measures uh, that the constant measures which are uh, uh, being proposed uh, by the current government governments in England which um, take away parliamentary power to make legislation and leave it to the discretion of, of ministers. Uh, of of, of, of uh, political heads of government departments. So the, the parliamentary system is, is, has been enormously weakened paradoxically by, uh, ostensibly it was it were given greater sovereignty outside the structure of the European Union, but in fact it hasn't known what to do with its power and the, the political heads of government departments have been strong enough to turn um, much of parliamentary life into a nullity
1: is that why you no longer regard the Tory party as a conservative institution
0: uh, yeah yeah very much so i mean it is it is um uh the great defenders of the conservative party at the moment are Uh, And by the way, I really like extremely rich people. I enjoy their company. And when they talk to me, I'm very grateful. But the the Conservative Party in Britain now is uh, um, taking decisions and making policy for the interests of a small number of hedge fund managers and billionaires who can make a great deal of money out of political and economic stability instability uh they're not there is no attempt to have um a, co- a coordinated government going slowly and steadily in the same direction we have policy initiatives that contradict one another and create uh, create market instability and therefore um, create a wonderful opportunity for people privately to make money uh, uh, for their businesses or for themselves that's that, that I, I mean i don't make um cheap shots about corruption but uh the um the the among my personal friends who are still very supportive of the Conservative Party. They're all pretty rich people who know how to make money out of disruption, market disruption. That's what happened. It was an extraordinary episode when uh, last year when um, um, Liz Truss became prime minister, uh, so shockingly inadequate a person that the Queen died, I think, of dismay two days after the the, the trust was appointed. And she introduced measures which were so clearly designed to unsettle the markets, um, to break the mould. Uh, to show that they were, uh, in, in political terms, outsiders; that they were going to drain the d- drain the swamp, um, and the British economy was absolutely wet in a week. Uh, and the the finance minister had to uh, was very lightweight had to go, um, and then trust went, um, and and the conservative conservatism has been enormously weakened uh by this because what what electors expect from conservatives is for them never to hurry never to pause to um to to go along at an even pace and in an even direction and not and 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 not to uh uh throw away british reputation for um economic uh, responsibility. I mean, an American banker said to me quite recently, uh, "The British economy now is a basket case," uh, and and that's what happens if you have um, wholly unconservative disruptors um, uh, uh, leading what is ostensibly a conservative government. And um, uh, we have the, the extraordinary thing is that Britain now is ruled by a political elite, which says very noisy that it's an anti-elite, that it's anti-elitism. There's this fundamental humbug uh, uh, in in which people who are definitely elite, if not a very salubrious elite, um, pretend they're nothing of the sort, pretend they're the voice of the people or that they represent the, uh, the common man.
1: If you wanted people to take one thing away from your book, what would it be?
0: Oh, uh, the belief uh, in honest leadership by socially responsible and intelligent people who have been educated to be socially responsible, paternalistic, to not to scorn or exploit. The weak or the poor, the disadvantaged, but to feel responsible for them, uh, um, and but above all, not not to be populists. I mean, what is what I've seen in, in the last ten years in, in in Britain is the the the, the chaos, and then the uh, disappointment, and then the, uh, the huge and unchanneled anger that comes when political leaders um that uh, populist causes or, or pretend to take up populist causes promise populists exactly what they want which is always conf- and what populists want is so often mutually incompatible conflicting um uh, i mean it's pop populism has uh, populism uh particularly when it takes on a sort of nationalistic nativist fringe uh, is it proving a heartbreaking mistake.
1: On that observation, I would like to thank you very much, Richard Davenport Hines, for being so kind as to speak with us today. This is Charles Cotillo. Thanks for listening to New Books in History, a podcast channel of New Books Network. Thank you once again. And thank
0: you.